Welcome to the audiobook podcast of Turing Test, book one of the AI Diaries trilogy. This is E.M. Foner, and you can contact me through Facebook or through my author website, ifitbreaks.com. Chapter 16 My team gathered at the portal to watch the final news conference from Davos. I took advantage of their presence to provide the waitstaff with a little training on how to serve one of the wealthier species that breathe a human-compatible atmosphere. The Tapulf typically sit on the floor in a circle and are served from the center in meals that can stretch on for hours without all that much actually being eaten. Instead, I had my team sit in a row of chairs so that all five of the recent hires could give it a go at the same time. This is kind of gross, Sarah said, tipping the spoon a little as Paul slurped off the jelly. Do people really eat a whole meal this way? In nursing homes, some people eat every meal like this, Justin told her, pausing to wipe a bit of sauce from his chin where Ron had missed with the spoon. If you're good at Tapulf service, you'll never lack for work. It's how we feed the little ones at daycare as well, Sue said. Spoon feeding is the easiest level of Tapulf. You'll have to work your way up to spear tips. You feed children with spear tips? Janice asked in horror. No, no, my second-in-command said, shooting me an apologetic look for spilling the beans about the next level. I meant, you know, in Australia. Oh, the waitstaff all chorused. Besides, I jumped in, we don't have any spears to practice with, but you'll serve the next course on these kebab sticks, just to get the hang of it. Those are kebab sticks, Ron asked. I taped a couple together to get the length right, I told him. They're a little wobbly, but that's part of the fun. Oh, I'm so sorry, Brenda said, using a napkin to wipe a bit of the relish from Stacy von Hoffman's blouse. It would be easier if you stopped moving your head. Thanks for reminding me, I told Brenda. Come on, people, I addressed my team. You know that presenting a moving target is part of the gig. Just make your job placement pitch already, Paul grumbled. They'll all do fine, and if they've put up with your teaching to this point, they'll catch on wherever you send them. Daniela reached out with her left hand and grabbed Justin's chin, then deposited a spoonful of jelly in his mouth. I hope the hankers hurry up and sell us faster than light ships so we can go see the galaxy, she said. Maybe we could get jobs at alien resorts or something. It can't be any weirder than working here. I decided to put a stop to the spoon feeding before my whole team was decorated with the glop of their choice. All right, everybody, spoons down on the cart and take a kebab stick. Go ahead and spear an olive from the dish. They serve olives on spear tips in Australia, Ron asked skeptically. Stuffed olives, I told him. Tapulf serving involves three distinct courses, and Spanish olives are the closest I can come to the second course without spending serious money. An olive that Sarah was trying to stab popped out of the bowl and flew right at me. I snagged it out of the air and reached for the tip of her triple-length kebab stick, holding it steady while I impaled the olive on the tip. Don't worry, I just washed my hands, I told her. Is it okay to choke up on the stick to spear the olive, Ron asked? I gave him the nod, and he moved the fingers of his right hand up to a spot just an inch behind the pointed end and jabbed an olive from close range. The tiny stuffed fruit didn't stand a chance. The others followed suit, and then returned to their positions in front of my seated team members where they awaited further instructions. Now, I want you to gauge the distance to your target's mouth, and then move backward and extend your serving arm, as if you were fencing, I told them. You'll know you've reached the proper distance when, at full extension, the olive doesn't quite reach the tip of the target's nose. 
Then I want you to start gently waving the stick, keeping the olive within an area no bigger than a dinner plate. Are you making all of this up? Brenda asked suspiciously. Go, I shouted, and the heads of my team members all shot forward like striking cobras, all five successfully capturing an olive. Two of the girls were so surprised that they let go of their kebab sticks. That was too easy, Paul boasted to the waitress who had served him. The second course is supposed to be challenging. News conference is starting in five minutes, Ebeth called from her perch on a bar stool. We're going to skip ahead to the final course of Tepulf's service, I told them, but I want you all to work on the second course at home. Just tape a few sticks together and practice sticking the end in a soda bottle. If you can get somebody to slowly toss the bottle back and forth between their hands, it'll be more realistic. You really think we're going to need this? Danielle asked. You're the one who mentioned getting a job at an alien resort, I told her. You don't imagine they would eat just like humans, do you? I saw the hanker emissary sucking down bamboo on TV, Ron said. It was like watching my roommate eat carrots, only the hanker chewed with his mouth closed. The hankers are probably the exception to the rule, I told him. The third course is actually drink service, a mildly intoxicating beverage for which I've substituted water. Everybody take a drink dispenser. I thought they were hamster bottles, Sarah exclaimed. I haven't seen one of those since grammar school. What's the button on the top for, Brenda asked. Good eyes, I complimented her. The Tepulf drink dispenser works similarly to the shot-pourer inserts for bottles that some establishments use to keep the bartenders from being overly generous. Should I get some shot glasses, Ron offered? I think I see where this is going, Daniela said nervously. Very perceptive, I told her. So, the important thing to know about the third course is that the worst thing you can do is actually stick the spout into your customer's mouth before dispensing the drink. The tip of the spout must always remain in view of the other diners in the party. So we're squirting it at him like a water pistol? Ron asked. No, the button doesn't pressurize the contents. It just opens a measuring chamber at the bottom to let gravity do its work. Won't that be messy? You have the advantage of momentum, I said. Let me demonstrate. Paul? Do we have to do this with water, he asked, as he tilted his head back and opened his mouth wide. The trick is to pour them from as high as possible so the other revelers can all see their companion is drinking the shot, I told them. Won't they choke, Sarah asked. It's all a question of what you're used to, Sue volunteered as I moved into position. A moment later, I thumbed the button while pulling the dispenser back and then pushing it forward again as the stream began and faded. Did you see me compensating for the change in flow? I asked the trainees. I don't want to bottle feed my customers, Daniela said, crossing her arms across her body. It just seems funny to you because you've never seen anybody drinking this way before, Sue said. If you want to travel, you have to be open-minded about the customs of other cultures. Two minutes to the press conference, Ebeth called out. All right, everybody have napkins, I addressed my team. Let's go. Oops, Sarah said a moment later. Sorry, Ron muttered. I'll just wipe that up, Brenda said, putting down the dispenser. What did the three of you do wrong, I asked. The spout was a bit out of position when I started, and I thought the flow would stop when I took my thumb off the button, Ron admitted. That's what happened to me, the other two chorused. The main trick to Tepulf service is you have to commit to what you're doing, I told them. In fact, stopping short in general can be dangerous in a restaurant environment. It's just like driving. You have to take into account that you aren't the only person on the road. Get over here. It's starting, Ebeth said insistently. 
That's it for class today, I told the students. You're welcome to stay and have something to eat. You can watch the news with the rest of us. I get my news from Facebook, Sarah said, and the other girls nodded their agreement. Twitter, Ron admitted. I don't have the patience for Facebook. I escorted my next crop of labor exports to the door and then headed over to the bar, hoping I would be in time to keep Paul from hitting the top shelf. He was too fast for me and was already pouring everybody's shots, the bottle held high over his head in one hand and the receiving glass in the other. It was an easy feat for an AI in an encounter suit that could dodge bullets, but it was the first time Ebeth had seen it done, and she clapped loudly. Do you really have jobs lined up for these kids where they would need to know to pull service, Sue asked? I just like keeping it interesting for everybody, I confessed. If the executive council makes up their minds on the portals, I'd just as soon start them all off at the same resort where I place Jesse. Pretty soon there should be enough humans there to justify putting in a good vegetable garden. Shush, Ebeth said, jacking up the volume with the remote. The familiar giant panda form of the hanker emissary took the stage in front of their landing craft. He was accompanied by a trio of the world's richest individuals, including a tech entrepreneur who had invested significant money in a private space program. I hoped the humans had put on sunblock to protect themselves from the wave of camera flashes, but the visual assault was quickly replaced by an audio one, with dozens of reporters shouting questions at the foursome. It seemed appropriate for a press conference on a golf course. If you'll allow me to say a few words, then I'll turn things over to my human colleagues, the hanker boomed. First, I want you to know that you'll have plenty of time for questions in the coming weeks since we won't be rushing off until we get paid. Second, after some hard negotiating on the part of your species, we've agreed to accept a mere 10,000 tons of gold as payment. That's metric tons for those of you who prefer the old English system. How much gold is there in the world, somebody called out. The hanker turned to his trio of companions, and one of them answered, At least 170,000 tons above ground. Nobody will be coming for your wedding rings anytime soon, though I personally think it would be selfish for anybody not to sell us their gold at the market price. How much is that in dollars, an American reporter shouted. Not even a half a trillion, the same billionaire answered. Really a pittance when you think about it less than half a percent of the gross world product for a year. I'm blown away by the technology, and I've committed to take a 1% share myself. The hankers even ran me over to Mars, where we moved the Spirit rover back onto hard ground so it can resume its mission. The orbit-to-orbit part of the trip took less than a minute, if any of you care to do the math. Will the faster-than-light technology be privately held? We all agreed that it would be for the best, but central banks and governments will be given an opportunity to participate as minority partners, in part due to their bullion holdings. All of the world's major governments have signed on to a freeze in gold prices until after the transaction is complete. We all think this is our gift to humanity. How is it a gift to humanity if you guys own the company, a different reporter shouted. I'm muting this until the hanker talks again, Ebeth said, putting her words into action. This has to be the greatest con anybody has ever run on humans, at least since the obelisk from space taught them to hit each other over the heads with bones, Paul observed. That was a movie, Ebeth told him, and then unmuted the TV as the giant panda resumed speaking. I also wanted to take this opportunity to warn you about the dangers of artificial intelligence. My own species has done just fine without it, and we boast one of the lowest unemployment rates in the galaxy. If that's not enough... I've never met an AI who could tell a joke without messing up the punchline. Speaking of which... And they unfolded and held up a giant contract. 
It was sort of a pictogram, showing on one side a spacecraft with comic book style motion streaks, a giant equal sign, and on the other side, a pyramid of gold. The pyramid seems appropriate, I commented. You see that ship? Paul demanded. It's a garbage scow. I didn't think the hankers took out their garbage. Ebeth clicked off the TV. If you guys aren't going to listen, I don't see why we should waste the electricity. It's just a lot of baloney in any case, Paul said. I'm going back to work. It's the weekend, Sue protested. Yeah, I've got to take some of my client shopping, Justin said. Anybody need a ride? Stacy von Hoffman took him up on the offer, while Sue and Helen stayed behind. Ebeth grabbed a couple of game controllers from under the bar, gave one to Helen, and the two of them were soon lost in some dungeon-themed expedition on the largest bar TV. It didn't have an internet connection, and a quick scan confirmed my suspicion that Helen was serving as a wireless conduit. I hoped she didn't take advantage of the lead time it gave her to cheat. What are you doing today, Sue asked, hooking my arm to make it clear that whatever it was, we would be doing it together. I need to visit library, I told her. That hanker emissary is really getting under my skin, and I want to know as much as possible before we launch a public relations counterattack. But they already have a signed contract, she pointed out. We got lucky there, I told her. I thought the hankers would settle for maybe half of their asking price, an amount that would have required public funding and really dinged a lot of budgets. If a hundred billionaires want to put up four billion each, that will cover the bill, and the remaining gold on earth will just go up in value. So you're going to let this prank go through? As you've pointed out, it has already happened. All I want now is to spoil the punchline so the humans don't end up looking even sillier than they did at that press conference. I saw some holographic studio equipment around the podium, so you know that the hankers are planning to turn this into a major theatrical release. Still, the humans look so happy today, Sue said, sounding rather wistful. I know the League does things the way it does for a reason, but the inhabitants of this world have a pretty high opinion of themselves, and they aren't going to enjoy being treated like charity cases. It's too bad the League won't send negotiators, even if it's just to give the human leaders a chance to save face. Do me a favor and keep an eye on those two, I said, jerking my chin towards Ebeth and Helen. I have to hit the stacks to do some research. It might be a while. I'll be here when you get back. Sue gave me a peck on the cheek before releasing my arm. I hoped that she knew what she was doing because I hadn't really figured it out. Spot thumped his tail lazily as I passed the furnace on the way to my office. I thought about taking the time to change the portal code that my mentor had so easily guessed, but he might take it the wrong way if he decided to come back. A moment later, I was bathing in the data flow, and this time I willingly paid the fee to park my encounter suit in the waiting area and uploaded my mind into library's vastly superior architecture. Every rumor I'd heard about the deep archives proved to be true. I couldn't have afforded a second of access without my mentor's key, and I soon found I had to turn off the steady stream of notifications alerting me of the mounting cost, because it was too much of a distraction. All at once I understood that the exorbitant charges were necessary, because without them, any young AI would become lost in the vast ocean of history, searching endlessly for connections that would explain the universe or the existence of an ultimate creator. I fought off the urge to explore, and submerged myself in the history of the hankers. My mentor hadn't been kidding about their scientific curiosity. The ancient hankers weren't satisfied with the best answer to a question, or even a range of correct answers. They were obsessed with tracking down every answer. For thousands of generations, the hankers had poured resources into basic research, discovering new food molecules they couldn't eat, new construction materials inferior in every way to what they already had, 
and systems for mathematics that yielded acceptable results for only a million times the effort of counting on their extremities. I caught myself sliding headfirst down the rabbit hole of fascination and pulled back just in the nick of time. The cataloging system for the deep archives was a joke, but I kept pounding away until I found the records of the hanker's early efforts into interstellar travel. There were hundreds of solutions, ranging from some that were still in use, to bizarre approaches that seemed to have been undertaken just to prove they would work. There was an artificial wormhole system that was notorious for destabilizing nearby star systems, a method for temporarily altering the curvature of space that would get you where you were going within the nearest light year or so, provided you didn't end up in a parallel universe. A number of approaches were so unfeasible from an economic standpoint that it was incredible they had ever tested prototypes. There was even one that... Eureka! This concludes Chapter 16 of Turing Test by E.M. Foner.